Today we present a very unusual interview. Uh, it's an interesting story, but one that was difficult for us to share. We at NK News have had many discussions before and after recording this interview to debate the reliability of the story and the value of releasing it. Ultimately, we decided to put it out as a Christmas special for you, our listeners, to enjoy and contemplate and make your own judgments. At the guest's request, we have decided not to use his name. That is because he is concerned about ramifications for his family. He has, however, allowed us to use a few photographs taken during the period that we discuss in the interview. You can find them on the NK News website at the page for this episode. Our guest has also asked us to leave specific details out. That is because he believes that to include those details would potentially endanger the lives of people that he still cares about living in North Korea. Unfortunately, leaving out these small but important details runs the risk of leaving the listener with the impression that North Korea is a kind of carefree Disneyland and that crossing the border into that country will result only in kind treatment and a happy ending for all around. We know from the uh, experience of others that this is unfortunately not the case in all circumstances. We believe that our interviewee was very fortunate. There are some reasons why this case may have gone differently to others, including the timing of the incident described in the interview. We at NK News did our best to investigate and independently verify certain facts in this case. We are satisfied, generally speaking, that the events took place as described, but we cannot reveal the identities of people who verified those details. In this process, we found that there have been other cases, some four or five in fact, of foreigners who were detained in North Korea without going through a trial, without a prison sentence or even a death sentence, or being paraded before the media. Earlier this year, for example, a European citizen was temporarily detained and then expelled from Pyongyang, unwelcome to return, without any mention of it in the North Korean or international press. The latter part of the interview includes a claim of some foreknowledge that can neither be proven nor disproven. We decided to include it because it is a big motivator for our interviewee in coming forward to tell his story and also because it is part of the fascinating variety of human experience. Detainee accounts like the one we are sharing today can be helpful for policymakers to understand what kind of processes are followed if and when foreign nationals are arrested in North Korea and charged with threatening North Korean state security. Okay, with all that being said, I will now cut to the interview. As always, we welcome your comments and feedback at podcast at nknews.org. Enjoy this interview, and thanks again. Listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and these episodes were recorded live in Seoul on Thursday, the 5th of December, 2019. I say these episodes because it's going to be a long interview, and we're going to make multiple episodes out of this, uh, which should liven up your Christmas and New Year listening period. So uh, get ready for uh, a long haul because it's a fascinating story. I'm here with a special guest today. Uh, he is a, a traveler from out of town. He's, he's visiting Seoul and he's been to North Korea a few times. I'm not going to reveal his name to you, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, there are some uh, some good reasons for that. Uh, and we'd like to, uh, to basically protect him and his family from a potential media frenzy because this story has never been told before. This is one that's uh, it's remarkable. It's unique in many aspects, and uh, we're going to unfold it and unpack it for you today. 
So, uh, first of all, thank you for joining me. Yes, it's a it's a privilege to be here. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your early life before you first visited North Korea. So you you grew up in the United States, uh, and the circumstances of life made you quite uh, materialistic and money focused. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. You got into business uh, as a teenager. You bought your first house before you were twenty. Uh, and and so getting rich and and well getting at least financially secure was uh, was the main focus of your life at that time. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't grow up with a father, and so I was definitely success driven. I, I definitely just cared about myself most of my childhood, and um, things changed after I started learning a little bit about volunteer work and and the beauty of giving your time, which is the most valuable thing you have to offer other people. When a a best friend of yours uh, dies unexpectedly, it really changed the whole trajectory um, of my life and my view of of spending time with other people and caring caring about others. Mm, Okay. Now, you received some training. Well, before you started traveling the world, you received some training. Uh, You're both a licensed and a registered nurse in the United States, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. And so then you went uh, went around the world. You saw a bit of uh, a bit of India, a bit of other countries, and somehow you ended up in Singapore meeting a man who was doing something very interesting in uh, in North Korea. Yeah, that's a that's a good a good flyby summary. Yeah, I, I um, worked in the medical field for a while, and then I struggled with some of the things in there because I saw some of the. Um, needs around the world. And so when I actually saw it with my own eyes, mm-hmm. um, it really changed a lot of things. Right. And this man who, uh, who you met, uh, who was doing something in North Korea, he invited you to come and work with him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yep. Uh, on paper, I guess I was I was uh, going to be the veterinarian. I wasn't a veterinarian, but uh, with my medical background and uh, I had a farm uh, prior to that, mm-hmm. you know, you use a lot of the same medicines with animals and stuff. And so um, that was a, a small part of my job when I was there in North Korea. But when you're there, you just work together to do whatever needs to be done. And so through my time just working uh, with the people doing whatever needed to be done, we just really started to build more intimate relationships. So you met a guy, he gave, he offered you a visa, and that happened very quickly, didn't it? It, it happened just within, I think, uh, maybe 10 days or so. Right. And that's uh, up in the northeast of, uh, of North Korea, near the... the tri-national border where uh, Russia, China, and North Korea come together. There's the uh, free trade zone. I, I think it actually, maybe it's a special economic zone. I forget the exact Yeah, market, yeah, I but think it's, it's a, an SCZ, yep. Rajin Sonbong or Rason, as the yep. North Koreans like to call it, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually two cities, Rajin and Sonbong, and you were up in Rajin, is that right? Right, yep, that's right. Okay, and so you were working on a farm there as a volunteer, um, helping, well, you were, as you say, a veterinarian, but also doing anything and everything that needed to be done. Absolutely. Yep. And that was for a period of uh, about five to six months. Yep, that's exactly right. Right. And when you went in, that was uh, very late in December of 2013. It was just right after that. Uh, I arrived, I think, in, in China uh, around, I think it was maybe even on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And then I think when I actually went into North Korea, which is pretty overwhelming, I still remember driving through the mountains and couldn't believe I was there because prior to that, I didn't even know that people could visit or work there. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was at the very start of January. So late January 2013, early, sorry, late December 2013, early January 2014 yeah. is when you went in. And contextually, it was it's an interesting time to go. Kenneth Bay uh, was arrested um, in November 2012. So he'd already been there for uh, a year when you went in and he was 
He didn't come out until November 2014. So the whole period that, that you were there uh, for five to six months, he was there. Uh, Merrill Newman, the uh, uh, the Korean War veteran, he was um, picked up on uh, late October 2013 and was released on in December 2013, so just before you went in. During your time there, Matthew Miller famously uh, ripped up his visa and uh, announced his intention to defect to North Korea yeah. at the airport in Pyongyang. Uh, and he was there uh, from April 2014 to November 2014. Mm. And during that period, that's when... When you came out, your, your term uh, finished with um, the the organization up in Rajin. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I decided to go back to the United States. Um, you know, I have a, an online business right now, and so I went back. And I also wanted to tell a lot of people, you know, what I saw, what I experienced there. And so um, I shared with a lot of different schools and stuff, and uh, even a few churches, and uh, just shared about what I what I saw there, just how uh, how much fun I had there mm-hmm. uh, and how unique the experience was. And my life was changed forever after that point of spending time with them. It was just really special to me. You, you I, I had learned a little bit about the history between the two countries uh, prior to me entering, and it, it was a little bit of a journey up to this point. Mm. And so when I was actually there with them, you know, I, I relate with the third generation Koreans there the most. Uh, I'm in my early 30s and and so when you, when you say the third generation Koreans, you mean the uh, after the Korean War, right? Uh, not the generation who directly experienced it, uh, yep. not the generation after that, but yep. the third generation. There you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, and and they haven't they they're hearing about it from someone who heard about it, and so both I guess we have forefathers who you know they had conflict and problems, and so when I was there uh, spending time with younger people. Uh, it was just really special to me because, uh, you know, the process, I guess, of reconciliation and trying to understand each other, it, it can be a beautiful thing when both people are open. Yeah. There was a moment that really changed things for you uh, when you were helping in the winter to build a, uh, a greenhouse. Yeah, there, there's a lot of really distinct stories, but this one pops out because it was right in the beginning of my time there. And so probably typically like most Americans, we're, we're afraid when we enter into North Korea and we think that they that you know, were their their enemy, right? And so, mm-hmm. of course, they're going to be out for any opportunity. They might be able to harm us. So my first couple of days, days there, I'll, I'll be honest, I was just nervous that, you know, they hated me or something and, and were looking for an opportunity that they could maybe hurt me. One of the first projects uh, that we were doing there in the beginning was to redo this greenhouse and putting a big piece of plastic and it had snowed on top of that plastic and we're probably, I don't know, five meters off the ground. And we're putting this plastic and kind of nailing it down and getting it secure and I started to slip off and, and I was going to fall. And I just... Yeah, how I fran- high off the ground were you? It was probably about five meters or so. I was on the highest point on this greenhouse. Mm. And I just frantically just tried to grab something, but there was nothing to grab onto. And my hand just kind of directly connected with uh, one of the workers there in North Korea. And we looked eye to eye and uh, and he smiled at me. And it was just, it was a really powerful moment for me because in that moment, I thought, wow, if I was him, maybe I would have wanted to kick me off off the mm. building and call in an accident. But in that moment, I realized that I needed to to get rid of all these negative perceptions of of them uh, thinking that they wanted to hurt me or something. And so it really opened me up for more intimate experiences and and be able to get closer to them after I, I didn't think that 
you know, they wanted to hurt me and, and, and them not thinking that I'm an enemy. Yeah. And did, did you start to uh, learn Korean then from the locals? Yeah, that was fun. Um, I did. I started learning enough to be able to kind of get things done there on the farm. But yeah. I still would love to, to learn the language. But I've really been holding out to learn the language directly from, from a North Korean because, mm-hmm. of course, I can travel anywhere in the world and, and speak Korean. But in the North, they speak it a specific way and a special way. And I would love to just communicate that way directly. So that's kind of a, a dream of mine to be able to learn uh, North Korean language from a North Korean so I can speak it the way they do and and communicate the best I can with them. Yeah. Now, you, So you were... Um uh, connecting on a, on a personal level there, um, having a great time working on the farm. Of course, it's hard work. Uh, you, you mentioned that you stayed in a hotel there in Rajan that was not heated and sometimes the water didn't run. Yeah, well, I, it wouldn't run because sometimes it'd be so cold that it would just freeze up. And wow. so, um, you know, sometimes... And that's the hotel. That's not just some, you know, shack or house or something. Yeah, sometimes that would happen. And that was many years ago. So I, I think it's it's probably a lot better now. Tourism has gotten boosted and... but. Sometimes the water would be so cold that it would freeze, and so I, the water wouldn't run, and is very cold in the room. I'm a Florida boy, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not very hard to make me cold either. Now, something I did forget to mention earlier, another kind of contextual uh, time note: uh, around the time that you went in, just when you were arriving uh, in China, the uh, uncle of uh, Kim Jong Un, that's uh, Jung Song Tech, had been purged and found guilty of, of crimes against the state and executed. Did you hear about that before you went in? You know, I I can't remember whether I heard about it before or after I went in, but you know, I don't I don't keep up a whole lot uh, with the political you know things that happen. They talk about in the news. I, yeah. I don't understand them very well, but I, I do remember hearing something about it, and um, I don't I didn't understand it very well. And then in March, while you were there uh, in the early spring, uh, two medium le- medium range uh, Rodong missiles were uh, tested. Oh wow! Yeah, and that was uh, when uh, President Obama was. Uh, was in the White House. I, I think I, I think I think I might remember something about that and thinking, wow, you can feel the tension inside North Korea a little differently than when you're back in America looking over to Asia. Uh, when you're actually there, it, it feels a lot different. <laughs> yeah. Now you came out. Uh, I believe uh, that that term ended. You came and went back to the states. That was in in May of of, of 2014, and that was around the the time that uh, Jeffrey Fowl uh, was was detained for leaving a Bible in a uh, in a Siemens mission in the town in the city of Chongjin, which is not far from uh, from Rajin. And he, of course, was uh, held there for about six months. Now. You yourself, you consider yourself a, a spiritual person, uh, a Christian, but you weren't there to uh, to proselytize or to evangelize. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I definitely am a Christian, and uh, I, I can't say that that hasn't influenced my life, but I don't believe that I can convert anybody myself. And so I care about building relationships, uh, seeking understanding, and, and just making an impact in other people's life. Right. So you weren't there. You didn't uh, smuggle any Bibles in or, uh, you know. No, uh, right. Yeah, I didn't r- smuggle any. some tracts or anything like that right now just to clarify for the for our listeners there you definitely didn't see yourself there as part of some mission to to convert the people of north korea right yeah that is that is not my job um it's my belief and um it's a part of something when i was growing up and i was young that i was influenced with just not having a father and you know the this community was a beautiful people who just uh, taught me about what i believe to be true love and unconditional love um, so yeah, that that impacts me and it has an influence in, in my life. But I can't convert anybody. I can't change anybody's heart. Mm. Um, and I don't believe it's my responsibility um, to try to convert people 
you know, or force someone to believe what I believe. And your experience in Rajan made you want to go back, made you want to, to, to experience more of the country, see more of the country, not just Rajan. Yeah, I mean, it, it completely it completely changed my life when, when I realized this kind of broken relationship that these two countries have had for so long. And I felt so privileged uh, to be able to go inside uh, and and just honored to be with them. I I just I was like I have to see more and experience more of the country and the people. And I I really just I, I hate to say it in this way, but it, it's as it's as clear as I can I can describe it. That I really just fell in love with the beauty of the country and the people. Um, and some, you know, some people might think that I'd be some North Korean sympathizer or something. I, I don't agree. Or- there is a danger that you can come across uh, as perhaps a bit naive or a, a North Korea fanboy or something. Right, right, right. And and I don't, I don't, I don't approve or justify any of the bad things that that happen there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of bad things that happen in a lot of different countries. But um, you know, I I have a great love for the people, for the country. Even have a great love for um, Chairman Kim himself. I just wanted to seek understanding why I was there and build relationships. And that's what they seem so hungry for. And when I think think about it in a practical standpoint, I could have been born in North Korea, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe one of the North Koreans could have been born in America. And I think about what what is what they would really desire? What would I really desire if I was born there? And I think it's just relationship. People want to have good relationships and they want to uh, love and care about each other. And so that's, that's what my main focus was when I was there. And that was why I had such an impactful experience when I was there is because that was my focus. And through that, I really fell in love with the people, fell in love with the country, and even the leader after I've learned about uh, the history uh, of kind of where he's come from with his father and his grandfather. And so I want to, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, that, that you also have a love for the leader. We're going to put a pin in that and come back to it uh, at the end because you have, certainly have some more to say about that. That's true. Okay. So um, let's see now. So where are we? So we're in the middle of 2014 when you came out and around almost a year later. So in uh, May of 2015, uh, you found a way to go back to North Korea, this time as a tourist. You went back uh, with a tour company on a private uh, uh, tour in which you were the only uh, paying customer, but you were together with uh, two local guides and one driver uh, for a period of about 10 days. Um, and how was that? Yeah, it was it was a very special trip because typically when people go into North Korea, they're with a big group of people and uh, they, they don't get to spend as intimate time with the people. But I already knew what I wanted and I, I wanted to be able to, of course, see the, the country and experience a lot of uh, the different things that are there. But more importantly, I wanted to be with the people and just learn more about being with them. And, and I wanted to have close time with them alone because I didn't want my time to be divided with, with other people. Yeah. And- so, yeah. So you have more of a, yeah, a, a tailor-made experience just for you. Basically, yeah, it was just me and them, and that's what that's what made it really, really special. So it, it was a it was basically a flawless trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're going to go into detail about where I went, but it was it was a nearly perfect experience up until the end. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a problem, but mm. otherwise, it was it was an absolutely incredible, flawless trip. Yeah, I think it's worth going into some detail because you know most people, if they like, I've been there for uh, uh, for five night tours and uh, and for well one five night tour and two seven night tours. And I've only ever seen, you know, Pyongyang, uh, Kaesong, 
Nampo, Myohyangsan. So all on the uh, the west side of the country. Right, right, right. But you, uh, after spending some time in and around Pyongyang, you uh, drove all the way uh, to the east side to Wonsan, which is a very bumpy ride. Yeah. Uh, and from Wonsan, you went south to Kumgangsan, the uh, mountain that's on the border with South Korea. Yeah. And then all the way north up to Hamham, which is a, uh, a city that hasn't been seen much by tourists, and then back down to Wonsan again. And then in Wonsan, you were having a very interesting conversation, well, some very interesting conversations with your with one of your guides. Yeah. Yeah. We headed over there because I'm from Florida, right? And so I love the coast and the water. And so I really wanted to see that. And um, and we had some really cool experiences having barbecues on the beach and watching, you know, just the, the ocean. And we did end up having some really, really uh, interesting conversations. And uh, one of them there, there towards the end uh, was kind of something I was joking about, you know, uh, and said, man, I would love to just live here like full time. Now, you hadn't mentioned uh, to your guides that you'd lived in Rajin for five months. Yeah, that didn't happen purposefully. Um, actually, you know, when we came in, I thought that was going to be the first thing that we, we kind of discussed. But ironically, it just never got mentioned, you mm. know, and I thought that they would already know about it. But by the end of the first day, I was surprised because they hadn't asked me anything about it. And they would probably maybe be upset that I didn't go out of my way to mention that I'd lived there for for five or six months. But I wanted the experience to be raw and authentic. And I knew as soon as I mentioned that it was going to change the whole dynamic of my trip. And so um, it was uh, I wanted it to just be a genuine a like authentic experience. And so yeah. I, I, if, if it got brought up, of course, I wasn't going to say that I hadn't been there before, but it never got brought up. So we were able to have this really, really um, special experience because it was almost as though I was coming there for the first time, um, which I was to Pyongyang and everywhere I visited, it was brand new to me. Now, normally with, uh, with, with tours, group tours, uh, the uh, Korea International Tourism Company, KITC, they provide um, specially trained and uh, highly experienced guides who have lots of, you know, they've led lots of tours before. So they've had experience with, uh, with foreigners before. In your case, because you're a one-man tour, uh, and what often happens with these specialized one-man tours or one-woman tours is that the, the guides are not uh, normally you know, full-time KITC guides, but they might be other people uh, in Pyongyang who can speak English or whatever the other foreign language is. Uh, and, and so you had somebody who wasn't a regular guide, but he did seem to be uh, quite a special guy. Yeah, he, I mean, he was a very special guy in my book, but it, it actually, I seemed to notice that there was something different about his status when I was there, but, you know, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But you guys are actually the one through your sources that were able, I guess, to confirm that there was something uh, very different about him. But the stuff that he shared, I was I was pretty amazed by uh, that he that he had done. So he seemed like the son of a pretty elite person there. His English was nearly flawless. Mm. And because of that, we just got really close. Yeah. And then... Uh, so in one of these conversations there on the East Coast, you said uh, you expressed an interest in perhaps living in in North Korea full time and, and working there. Yeah, right. And I was in a special economic zone up in Rajin and, and there's a there's a, a quite a few foreigners up there. So what he knew what I meant by living in North Korea was was actually live inside the country outside of that special economic zone mm -hmm. or maybe in one of the other special economic zones. There's actually a lot of them throughout uh, North Korea. And so uh, when it was it was late at night and, you know, we were talking and, and I said, man, I would love to live here. And he's he said, you know, why don't you why don't you why don't you live here? And I said, well, 
oh my goodness, that's crazy. That's like impossible. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, why is it? And so he started to entertain it. And I was, I was kind of intrigued by that because I didn't expect that kind of response. Yeah. So did you feel that, that that he was joking or that he was challenging you or, uh, or or teasing you or what? Well, I didn't. I didn't really know quite what to think when he he seemed really sincere about the way the way he was saying it. You know, I I couldn't think of a reason why specifically he was responding that way. But I thought, hey, I'm the one who mentioned it, and it's a real desire that I have. So why wouldn't I entertain this opportunity? And so. Uh, basically, I told him, hey, give me a night to think about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up waking up the next morning and I, and I told him, you know, hey, if you're willing to help me, because I don't want to look like that crazy guy, right? That's like trying to look like I'm trying to, you know, live there and I'm an, I'm an enemy of my own country. I love America. Yeah. Uh, I'm thankful to be a citizen. I would love to be able to live in North Korea, but I didn't want it to be under circumstances that it was like I was, I was uh, you know, against my own country or government. And so right. I told him, you know, Hey, under with your help, I don't want to. I don't want to do this by myself. I'd be willing to entertain this. And so he he made a phone call, and after that, things just got really, really serious, really fast. Right, you you are uh, moving towards the end of your tour and uh, uh, driving back from Wonsan to uh, to Pyongyang, and uh, there were a series of phone calls that took place in the bus while you were on the way back to Pyongyang. Well, actually, we were in a car because it was just us, hmm. and so um, uh, you know, I had I had suitcases with me because I had been traveling Asia. I brought my skateboard, and we got to do all kinds of fun things so we just packed up everything a, a day or two early and on the way back it's it's a, it's quite a long five five hour drive or so they were you know wanting to know questions about my background and we're basically having kind of this interview about my life and what I had done where I'd been and they're they're preparing in Pyongyang some kind of some kind of meeting for us to consider me asking Chairman Kim to to potentially immigrate there. Okay, but it wasn't, as far as you know, going to be a meeting directly with uh, with Chairman Kim, was it? No, I, I don't. I don't know who it would have been with. I would assume that it was going to be involving someone with the Foreign Affairs Office, is the way that I, I kind of understood it. And so there was funny questions asked, like, you know, is this could it be dual citizenship? I think we were both young and naive, uh, and and it was. We didn't expect it to get so serious so fast, but um, it did get really serious. When we made it back to Pyongyang, we started talking to people that are are superior to him. And it ended up with with us working together on writing uh, a letter to Chairman Kim together. And that Mm -hmm. was my first of two letters that I've written to Chairman Kim. Okay, so you wrote a letter in English, um, and that was uh, to Chairman Kim to basically appeal to him, uh, please let me live in your country. Yeah, basically, I was I was asking him to consider uh, maybe allowing me to live outside of the Rajan area um, and, and how I could contribute to, to being there. Okay, so this is now the night before uh, you're due to have a meeting, also the night before your last day in, uh, in, in North Korea. So um, as people who've been there before will know, there's a... Um, uh, an 8.30 flight and there's a 10.10 flight out of uh, Pyongyang. So you're obviously going to have an early uh, morning meeting. Uh, but something happened on that last night there. What happened? Yeah, I mean, it, it basically was just a, a huge, a huge misunderstanding. It was just, it happened by a series of, of unfortunate events. Um, and so going back to the night before, we, we, we were really nervous to write this letter. I mean, I had my thumbprints and authenticated this letter with my, you know, with my fingerprints and mm, stuff. In red ink. Yeah, to Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And so uh, this was really real and scary uh, the night before, but we had, we had celebrated and we were kind of waiting on what would happen. And we didn't know whether this meeting was really going to happen or, mm. or, or, or what. And so 
um, we celebrated and uh, we had Korean barbecue style of raw duck. And uh, I ended up uh, getting really, really sick from that meal. At 3 a.m., I woke up just throwing up violently. If anybody has had food poisoning, I mean, poultry is is about about as bad as it gets. And it was my fault when I I go a lot of time from China where there's these wooden chopsticks where I was living uh, for a few months. And then I go into Korea, they have metal chopsticks. I dropped them and we were having a good time and I reached on the table behind me and just grabbed some chopsticks that I didn't realize the waiter was turning everybody's raw duck meat in the mm-hmm. whole restaurant. And I didn't realize until after I had eat, eat a few uh, pieces of duck that, that that had it on there. And I was like, oh boy. Right. Message to uh, people who eat at uh, Korean barbecue <laughs> restaurants, don't mix up the chopsticks used for picking up the raw pork or raw <laughs> duck or raw chicken with yes. those that are used for eating the cooked duck, pork or chicken. So yeah, so you uh, unfortunately had some raw uh, uncooked duck that made you violently ill you spent all night uh, vomiting and just before dawn you were able to get to sleep that that's when things went a bit went a bit south they did yeah like i said it was a flawless uh it was a flawless trip i mean it was it was absolutely incredible but when normally they come up it's you know i have the music on the windows are open and i'm ready to go at, at you know 6 30 yeah. but at this time the windows were closed i was uh, you know, so sick that I could barely even think. Or well, even... you were weak. You you had yeah. uh, uh, almost no bodily. Flu- you know, you, you'd uh, vomited all your food out. So you. Oh were yeah, all night. Perhaps dehydrated. Yeah, big time. I mean, if people who had food poisoning, they know you feel like you're dying. And yeah. so I finally was able to get to sleep right, basically as they came in, throwing up all night. And um, you know, they they my guide was kind of confused by this. I'm getting. I'm supposed to leave or or have this have this meeting potentially right. that morning. So. So I basically said I couldn't leave. And for me at that time, it, it was an easy request. I had traveled in and out of North Korea. My schedule changed all the time going in and out of North Korea for the for the several months that I lived there. So mm-hmm. it didn't seem like it was a problem. That, 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 that happened very often. Right. You thought, I, I could just stay an extra day. I can get better, right. recover from this food poisoning, and yeah. I'll fly out tomorrow. Right. Uh, but North Korea, um, those who've had dealings with the KITC know uh, they're very, very intent on having tourists stick to their, uh, their leaving schedules and uh, their exit itinerary. So they were, so somebody uh, senior from the KITC came to you. He was a bit unsympathetic, didn't think you were that sick, and said, we're going to get you out of here. And, and you were taken unwillingly to the airport. Yeah, basically. He he um, he didn't believe that I was really sick at, at the beginning. And so he, he, he wasn't very nice to me. I was trying to convince him, uh, you know, that I was I was really sick. But again, I had, I had stopped throwing up. And so it's not like they could they could see me do that until later on when I actually uh, made it to the airport and, and got on the plane. But right, but uh, you threw up a few more times on the stairs leading up to the airplane, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, then they they realize you know they realize oh man he's he's actually really really sick. And right. so I just knew I needed one day to recover. But again, when you have food poisoning, you can barely open your eyes. You feel like you can barely walk. Um, and so I, I was very, very sick. It took me, it took me a month really to just uh, recover from yeah. that when I got back to China. So the, as you said, this trip was flawless until the very last morning. Uh, it ended on a sour note. Yeah. Um, and you wanted to somehow go back and make things right. You had a, a real desire to uh, set right your relationship with the North Korean people and the North Korean state. Yeah, I remember before I left, the the one my eyes were pretty much closed the whole time that I was felt like I was kind of being ejected out of the country in this uh, pretty bad way. And this didn't involve my guides, uh, but it, it involved some kind of uh, uh, senior leader within KITC. It mm. seemed like, and uh, I remember this one thing when I when I was getting ready to walk out the door on the on the um, tarmac. 
I remember he, he lifted up my chin and he opened up my eyes with his fingers mm-hmm. and he said, come back and see us soon. And uh, I just thought that was so ironic because yeah. of the, the, you know, the misunderstanding we had in the room of him thinking I wasn't sick. And, right. and, and the funny thing about it is he didn't know that I had lived there for five or six months. He didn't know that I had, I had, you know, 10 to 20 different opportunities to come back and live there. So mm. it wouldn't have made sense for me to think that I'm going to try to stay in the country because I had plenty of opportunities to be able to live there if I wanted to. Um, I just needed one day to recover. And I don't know if he was going to get in big trouble, if there was a meeting or if uh, I don't know why things went so sour so fast, but it was really bizarre. Ended up getting on a plane, um, headed back to China. Yeah. And so that was uh, of May of 2015. And, and the, uh, uh, the, Almost the last word said to you, as you said, were by the uh, unsympathetic uh, high-level KITC officer who said to you, almost uh, mockingly, come back and see us real soon. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't imagine that you would come back in quite the way you did. But that's what we're going to leave for the second episode. So we're going to take a break here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to go off and have some lunch and come back and record part two. Uh, don't forget to uh, all of our listeners, have a look at the nkshop.org for all of your Christmas needs. They've got wonderful calendars. I just gave a calendar to our guest today. There are also posters postcards, T-shirts, lots of wonderful things. So have a look at nkshop.org. All the funds that are raised there help to support real journalism on North Korea. So stick with us and come back for our second episode. Bye-bye. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.